Hello and welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and as silage season is fast approaching, I spoke to expert Joe Patton about the importance of silage quality on beef farms. But first, I asked Joe, where are we when it comes to silage quality nationally? Where we are nationally, based on what samples have been run through the labs, etc., we're roughly at about 65 DMD, so 65 trimatter digestibility. Uh, so what does that mean really in terms of quality? It means that national average, we're probably at a type of feed that's probably suitable only really for dry suckler cows that probably would that will not gain any weight. It certainly wouldn't be material that will uh, result in any weight gain in, in, in cattle of any degree. So that's where we are national average. But of course, we have to remember that it's a very small percentage of, of silages that's actually sampled. My hunch would be that a lot of the stuff that isn't sampled is probably lower than that again. So I'd say somewhere in the low to mid 60s is probably where we're at. And why is it this low, do you think? Good question. Um, I suppose, look, uh, if, you want to, if you want to look at it this way, if you don't really make huge, if you don't put much of an emphasis on, on making quality material, Catherine, and you, you sort of wait until the early mid-June period to, to take your cuts, inevitably that's where you're going to end up with in terms of digestibility. So 60, mid-60s DMD comes from really farms that probably haven't put much emphasis at all on quality and are looking for bulk only. So generally really the, the, the main reason for that is that on average people are cutting their silage much too late. And what impact does this have then next winter? Well, next winter, um, look, if you're talking about that mid-60s, we would like to see that more sort of in the low set, low to mid-70s. So maybe instead of 66, maybe more like um, 72, 73. The difference that would make, and there's a lot of, there have been a lot of feed trials done over a lot of years looking at that. The difference that would make really, if you're talking, for example, for, for Weanland stock, if you take it from a November to March winter period, that two-week difference in cutting date is the difference in about 60 kilos of lightweight gain over the winter period for a weanland. So if you want to see what's the difference in weight in two weeks to cut your silage, the difference is 60, about 50 to 60 kilos difference in the, in the weight of weanlands coming out of the shed next spring. And that is, that's very, very significant indeed. Yeah, it is a significant impact. And what other key factors will affect the digestibility? Well, look, the, the main factor really is that like digestibility is, look, at the, the silage itself is only ever going to be as good as, this, as the grass that is um, being put into the bale or into the pit in the first place. So I suppose, look, when people, you want to look at it this way, if you looked at the silage crop that you're cutting and ask yourself, you know, how would animals perform if they were grazing that material? And if it's very long, very stemmy, if there's a lot of seed head in it, if it's shot out, if it's lying over, uh, the digestibility is going to be very low. So really it's about stage of growth at, at the stage that it's cut is the big thing. It, so, that's, so really once grass heads out, you're probably no more than about 69, 70 DMD. And every day, every sort of two or three day delay after that, you're going to lose about a unit. So from a leafy crop, uh, in sort of let's say on the 25th of May to a very stemmy crop on the 10th of June that's the difference really in digestibility and particularly with very heavy crops that lie over if you've got dead material at the base that's certainly going to drop your DMD by another two or three points and of course then you'd also have the issue that some uh, some swords aren't grazed at all tightly in the back end of the year or maybe in the spring if there's a lot of dead material at the base that'll take a few points of digestibility off as well but the big one we can focus on now is the is the stage at, at which the crop is actually cut. 
So from once the farmer cuts the crop, what should they do then in order to ensure the quality remains in the crop? Well, look, I suppose that's the that's the big thing, really, that, you know, the decision around quality um, the decision around digestibility and feed quality ultimately is a decision around cutting date, Catherine. And, that, you know, you, you, I suppose you, you often see that people think, yeah, that's very well preserved or it's, you know, you know, really done well in, in good conditions but if the quality of grass is poor to begin with there's no there's no treatment post cutting that's going to improve it but look at from a from a management point of view after cutting i suppose the big the, the few things that will make a difference obviously and you know most people everybody's well aware of this obviously if it's pit silage it has to be well compacted uh, sealed very quickly and in fairness with with the way silage making equipment has gone now you know most most farms are able to get their silage in within the within the day or two anyway so like really slow filling of pits like used to happen years ago doesn't happen anymore that's off the table from a from a bales point of view obviously the bales have to be have to be well wrapped and well managed to minimize losses uh, one thing i suppose you could mention and maybe it's worth talking about too is the question of wilting you know wilting to get the dry matter of the crop up maybe close to maybe 28 30 percent is a good thing but if wilting goes on too long you can get losses in digestibility as well by just the, the crop being on the in the in the in the, in the, in the row for too long i suppose so how long of a wilt would you be recommending from once the crop is cut yeah well look that's a that's a that's a good question too um the wilting itself really depends on it's a fa- it's a it's a factor of I suppose uh, the durate, you know the time and also how the, the crop is 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 managed I suppose if you have for example six meter six meters in the row um, if you leave that for twenty four hours you're really not going to get a wilt on it at all so it's not really worth your while almost. So the difference in, in dry matter percent is not going to be huge. If it's a three meter row, you'll probably get some drying out for sort of over 24 hours. You'd almost need 48 hours to to um, to get where you need to be. Uh, so really like if we're serious about Wilton and really serious about high quality silage, the, the, the best combination I suppose is grass that's tedded out and that it's wilted for 24 hours. That's the That would be the recommendation. Uh, leaving it too long in the row, you're going to get too much loss. Uh, if it's a big row, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it to dry out anyway. So ted it out, 24 hour wilt, job done. An often worry among a lot of farmers is in relation to the amount of nitrogen and whether it's gone out of the crop. And that will be specifically an issue this year where a lot of surplus paddocks may have been taken out in the coming days. What advice have you for farmers in this case? Uh, I suppose people say it's an issue this year. It comes up every year. Um, and I, I've seen fellas that you know the, the nitrogen has gone out of the crop weeks ago and they're still worrying about nitrogen i suppose a lot of people have the idea of two units a day in their head and this two you know they will not you know under penalty of death almost they won't go and cut their silage before the, the two units per day rule is, is used up our advice very clear on this and it has been said for years the two unit rule is a reasonably good guide for when you should apply your fertilizer okay it's a good guide for roughly when this when the crop should get its night get its nitrogen right but when it comes to making decisions around cutting date it's really not that useful at all so i think people need to stop worrying so much about nitrogen and grass particularly in a bale silage and particularly if you can get it uh, wilted out so you can cut you can cut silage that has nitrate levels of 800 parts per million or up so on the nitrate test it's still quite high maybe in, in in nitrate but as long as the sugars are high and if you get a wilt on it at all uh, the nitrogen issue 
uh, really takes care of itself. There's, it's completely overplayed, uh, and every year we have the same we have the same thing. Okay, so look at my advice is um, focus on the sugars, test the sugars if you if you if you if you're a bit worried about it, you know. Um, and focus on maybe getting a wilt for 24 hours and don't worry, it, especially on them sort of surplus paddocks where the covers aren't that heavy, maybe perhaps. Don't worry too much about the nitrogen content. It's, uh, the balance should be on the sugars, I would say. And how can farmers impact or influence the sugars in the crop? I suppose, look, if, um, if you're talking about good, dry, sunny weather, uh, for sure, what does, the, what does the crop do? It probably, um, it, it takes in, it, 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 it it takes in sunlight during the day, so if it's good, dry, dry, sunny conditions, uh, and if it gets good sunshine during the day, it will have built up the sugar. So, you know, really mowing in the evening, if possible, uh, if, the, if it's a lush green crop, mow it in the evening when the sugars are likely to be, you know, are, are, are relatively high. Get it, leave it for its 24 hours to, to sort of ted it out. Uh, for 24 hours what that will do basically is it will concentrate the sugar in the you know you get rid of the water basically and you, you concentrate the sugars that way uh, so therefore the crop will, will preserve quite well and now look at it's it's an interesting one Catherine you know I did the the, the, the Grange Open Day a couple of years ago where we had you know very high quality silage high 70 dm high 70 76 78 dmb silage as a sample and we also had silage that was maybe mid-60s in DMD so very stemmy dry stuff and I would say based on the people that passed us by that day most people were sort of saying they preferred the low DMD silage they thought it was a better they thought it was a better crop if you know what I'm saying and that surprised me a lot actually and part of the reason for that I suppose is that the lower that the very high DMD silage looks darker it's softer looking it doesn't have that sort of fill value look that the lower dmd stuff would be and a lot of that would be because it's higher in crude protein so this silage will be it will be um softer i suppose and the bales won't maybe as be as tight it won't look as tight as maybe the the low dmd stuff but that's what makes a good bale actually it's not a bale that, that holds its shape it's a bale that falls apart when you open it that's what good feed value looks like but i think a lot of people are, are a bit concerned about how that stuff will feed out i think we need to move on from that and say look that's the type of bales we really need if we're feeding them to to, to animals that we need to grow the situation obviously is different for your dry circular cow where mid 60s is probably okay but if we have growing cattle on the farm or particularly maybe sucklers that are freshly calved and need some need some feed quality it's the it's the leafier silage that we need to go for. It probably comes back to the age-old question of balancing quantity and quality. Yeah, yeah. And look, at just, just a comment on that, actually. Um, you know, people talk about balancing quality and quantity. Uh, it's very rare we'd ever get a, a call from anyone saying, oh, I'm worried about the, the quality of my bales. They're always worried about the number of bales they have, right? And that, that's, that's, that's an issue. But uh, look, when we when we looked at the the, the stuff from the fodder survey um, in, after twenty eighteen, when when there was a big shortage of feed in the country, it was an interesting thing that stood out for us. Actually, the farms that the farms that had the biggest problem in terms of shortage of silage were the ones who delayed their first cut the longest, right? And that that's an important point that delaying your first cut into one big cut increases the risk of a silage shortage. It doesn't reduce it, right? And that's that's something to hardly get your head around. But when you think about what happened in 17 and 18, in 17 in particular, the problem was that a lot of farms didn't actually manage to get their second cut made. And the reason they didn't get their second cut made was that their first cut was too late. 
So actually taking a good quality first cut of good yield in the middle to the end, sort of the mid, the third week to the fourth week of May gives you a much better chance of having enough silage than leaving your set your first cut into the middle of June. Because what it does is it gives you a much better growth rate for the rest of the year. And I think that's a, that's a very important point. One big cut in June will not guarantee a supply of, quali- of quantity, but what it will do is it'll guarantee a supply of very poor quality. That's a good point, Joe. In relation to preservatives, they used to be used more commonly probably in the past. When is there a need for them or does that impact on the quality of silage? Sure. Like the preservatives, like there's a whole, you know, if you go back years and years ago, there was obviously acids being used and there was molasses being used and maybe more in more recent years than maybe preservatives like, you know, inoculants and things like that, uh, Catherine. So look, a couple of points on that. The first thing to say is that if you go back you know, maybe if go back 30, 40 years ago when these things were really at their, at their peak, I suppose, when people are really trying to make that effort. A lot of the time, the swords that were being cut at that time were not ryegrass swords, right? They were older grasses. There would have been more meadow grasses and coxfoot and things like that, the older style of grasses, which naturally have a lower sugar content than your reseeded grass. Do you know what I mean? So you're, you're actually, your ryegrass sword or your reseeded grass sword comes with the sugars included, if you know what I'm saying, which is a different situation than it used than it was years ago. So the old grasses would, would have been harder to preserve years ago. Now with ryegrass swords, they're, more, they're easier to preserve because of the sugar content. So you're not, there's nobody using acid anymore, really. Uh, if the sugars are low in your, in your grass, so if you're testing your, 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 your testing your sugars and they're a bit low, you're probably saying, look, a bit of molasses, maybe just add in the sugar that's missing. So maybe 15 kilograms a ton or some 15 liters a ton, I suppose, of, of molasses or something like that, just to give it a bit of extra sugar to help the fermentation. In, in poor conditions or in low sugar situations, you're adding straight sugar, basically, to, 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 to try and improve the situation. But that's really, that can be decided with your advisor based on the current conditions and whether the grass itself is low in sugars. And oftentimes we see that in maybe a poor summer with poor weather conditions where people have to move, even though the sugars in the grass aren't ideal. Then at that stage, you're adding in a sugar source. In terms of the inoculants, I suppose what we'd say in a lot of cases with the inoculants is for people maybe that are making silage in early to mid-May, a lot of the dairy guys might be looking at using them. You know, is, are they necessary? The jury's out, really. Um, they're, they're, they're costly. Uh, if you're going to be feeding the silage to Weanland, uh, Weanland cattle or you're going to be feeding it to um, circular cows, is it necessary? In most cases, I don't think the inoculants is really going to give a cost benefit. I would say... Look at the sugars, and if you need sugar in there, add a bit of molasses. That's probably the, as far, really, as we need to go with the, with the additives of the inoculants, I would say. That's great, Joe. Finally, I suppose the impact of the decisions that farmers make now in relation to silage quality won't be realised until next winter. And you mentioned there the 60 kilo live weight gain of a difference in young weanlands. What have, can farmers do in the coming weeks in relation to cutting the crop in order to reduce costs and make the better quality silage that you're discussing? I suppose, look... Um, at this stage, Catherine, I'm convinced that everybody knows how to make good silage. Like, I think it's not an issue of knowing what to do. It's a matter of whether people feel that it's worth their while doing it or not. I think we have to get first a couple of things. First of all, we have to get over a couple of notions here. The first notion is, we, as we discussed before, stop worrying about the two units of nitrogen rule, right? And take the silage cut in to before, you know, take the silage cut in late May 
uh, before the good goes out of it effectively. So that's the first, the first decision really is I'm going to cut my silage uh, in, in May this year rather than June. And once you make that decision, everything else can follow from that, I would think. That's the first thing. The second thing we need to realize is that, you know, we can't make all our silage to suit all our cattle on the one day. So think about this. Your average guy maybe with 20 suckler cows or thereabouts, how many bales of moderate quality material does it, do they need? They need about, depending on the length of the winter, I suppose, somewhere between six and eight bales, let's say seven bales on average. So your average guy needs about 120 to 140 uh, moderate quality bales for the circular cows that they have. Everything else other than that should be high quality, right? So look at, it's easy to make the bad stuff. Focus maybe on the first cut and making higher quality than, than you would be used to. That's done by advancing your cutting date back into, into sort of anywhere between the 20th and the 30th of May, I suppose. Um, take the cut, and you know your second cuts will be better as a result of that. So, you know it's it's that notion that we can sort of do it all on the fifteenth of June and and you know bring the baler in once and that's the job done. We're always going to end up in a situation of poor quality silage if that's the way we want to do it. I would encourage people maybe to to, to look at it a bit different this year and watch the benefits accrue next year when you know you'll either get you know you'll you'll get something in the region of maybe fifty to sixty kilos additional live weight gain for the same level of meal input, or indeed, if you want to cut the meal input and save a bit of cost that way, it's the difference in saving maybe a kilo and a half uh, or two kilos of meal per head per day over the winter period. That will add up to an awful lot. Some key points, Joe, I think there that farmers are definitely going to use this May. Thanks very much for joining me on the show. Okay, thanks very much. That's all for this episode, and my thanks to Joe for joining me on the show. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.